0: good, it's ever faithful Worth more than gold The heart's delight Your word is life To all who hear and obey Your word enjoys forever Your word is true It never changes it formed the earth, sustains it still. Your word defends, providing refuge and strength. Your word enjoys forever. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your
1: word is a light unto my power. my joy and my song your word endures forever
0: your word transforms it lifts the humble rebukes the proud protects the Just forever.
2: Good morning. Welcome to all of you. Just a reminder that at the end of the service, when you're ready to leave, just stand up and then move directly uh, to the exit at the end. And a reminder then that uh, something we mentioned last week there are Easter boxes available. I haven't checked to see if they're there, but I'm assuming they're uh, on, on the way out if you didn't notice them on the way in. The proceeds of these. I will go to Just Caring, one of the ministries that we support, and those are four pounds each. And then this evening, we are meeting again uh, online for our 6 p.m. service continuing in Matthew's Gospel, and that will be followed by an online coffee time. And that will be the last online-only evening service, and it will also be the last um, evening coffee time, I believe, that we're planning to do in the short term. And then uh, this Thursday, we have an online prayer time at 7.45 on Thursday, and there will be an email circulating uh, about that. If if you're not getting the emails, you could check with Steve and myself, and we'll make sure that gets to you. And then I need to run through our plans for the Easter weekend, because we're changing things a little bit from the way it has been. All of our services at the Easter weekend are in-person services, so you're welcome to come to any or all of them. We start on Good Friday with the service at 7 p.m. That will include the Lord's Supper, and that will also be streamed on Friday. And then Easter Sunday morning, we're going to split into two morning services. I think we'll be beyond our capacity for just one service. So there will be a service at 9.30 a.m., and then that service will be repeated at 11.15. Uh, only the 11.15 service will be streamed. So you're free to come to either one that you want. Last time we did this, we had a fairly even split in numbers. So we're anticipating that most people will want to come back to the time they went to before. And then, important to highlight the Easter Sunday evening, our 6 p.m. service will also be in person. It hasn't been up to now, but we're going to change that from next Sunday, so 6 p.m. here in the building, and that will be streamed as well. If you have any questions, please get in touch with me or Steve, and we can try to clarify that for you. Now, you don't need to book for any of those services, just come if you want to come. That's all I need to mention in terms of information. I hope that you. Uh, That registered in terms of what's going on. But our focus this morning is God. And we want to begin with some words of scripture. We're going to read these together, reminding us that our only hope as human beings is to place our hope in God. So before the musicians lead us in a couple of songs, if you'll stand with me, we're going to say to ourselves and to God and to one another, Some words from Psalm 62, if you'll stand with me, please. My soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Amen.
3: that some it's so incredible that you who created the universe should be interested in us to the very personal level that you know the number of hairs on our head and Lord we worship you this morning we give you glory we give you adoration and Lord I pray that you would help us to do that with all of our hearts today may you be honored by what we do today as a fellowship and may you be in our midst. May you speak to each one of us. May you renew our desire for you. Lord, if we don't know you this morning, may you speak to our hearts and transform us by your power. Lord, I pray that you will forgive us that we we wander in our minds and our thoughts, that we struggle to focus upon you. And Lord, I pray that you might clear our hearts and minds of uh, of everything that distracts, that we might be able to focus on you and worship you with our attention, with our learning, that we might improve our knowledge of you. And Lord, that we might this very day fall more in love with you. And, uh, Lord, uh, I do pray that you will answer the prayers of our hearts as each one of us this morning make these requests. Might it be more significant to you because we're all praying it together. Lord, I pray for uh, uh, Chriselle and Irwin, for Chriselle's family members in the Philippines. Uh, Lord, not all countries in the world have the same levels of care as, as we do here. And, Lord, I pray that you would be merciful uh, to all those countries that are suffering with, with with covid and without any vaccines lord i pray that individually with Chriselle 's family members that you might heal them uh, particularly because there's no space in hospitals for them lord we remember carol as she's restarting chemo thank you lord that there are so many uh, incredible uh, uh, developments in medicine But Lord, even in the midst of that, we pray for healing for Carol, that this chemo might be effective and that you might bless her and John and their family. And Lord, thank you for Gerald and Rita Tanner who uh, are are coming to, to, to Pelsall. And Lord, I pray that you might bless them and help us to be a family for them. And Lord, we remember Clive Luke and his dad, Brian. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to remember that in our hearts and hear our prayer today, that you might speak to Clive's dad and transform him by your power, that even now in the twilight of his life, might he be converted. Well, Lord, I do pray that you will bless each one of us, and Lord, I pray that you will keep us focused on you and that you will be glorified in all that we do today. Amen.
2: If you have a Bible handy, we're going to read now from Psalm 19, a psalm that speaks about the various ways that God has revealed Himself. The first part of the psalm talks about God revealing Himself in creation, and then the second half of the psalm, God revealing Himself through His Word. And we're going to read Psalm 19 now.
4: Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
2: The psalmist uses lots of different words for God's laws. He he mentions his statutes, his precepts, his commands, his decrees. And he connects God's laws to words that we might not expect. He says they are refreshing. He says they make us wise. They're radiant. They give light. We might not expect such warm and invigorating words to be used in connection with God's commands but the Bible does make those kind of connections. We'll see more of it in a few moments as we turn to Deuteronomy. But first, our next song asks God to speak to us through his written word as we open it together and give it our attention. Speak, O Lord. If you want to kill a conversation about the Bible, start talking about decrees and laws. Decrees and laws sound about as dry and unappealing as it gets, I think. We can get interested in stories from Israel's history, there's always plenty of exciting things going on there. We can get interested in the parables that Jesus told, they're intriguing. We can get interested in the emotional highs and lows we find in the Psalms, for example. We relate to those. But decrees and laws sound like a reason to change the channel. And that makes the book of Deuteronomy a bit ominous for us, because if you've read ahead at all, you will have noticed a good part of this book is given over to decrees and laws. But the passage we're going to look at this morning is here to change our attitude to decrees and laws. It's here to show us the people who have God's decrees and laws are the most privileged people on earth. Just to remind ourselves of the context here, Moses is preaching in this book to the Israelites as they're camped east of the Jordan River, ready to cross the Jordan, into the promised land to the west. Moses has spent some time already reminding them of the lessons to be learned from their history. He has recalled the unbelief of their parents' generation as they turned back from the promised land. Moses has reminded the new generation of God's faithfulness to them already, giving them victory over Sihon and Og, as they moved up the east side of the Jordan until the point where they are now. And last time we saw Moses showing the people their responsibility to cross the Jordan and fight together as one people, as a brotherhood. And now in our passage this morning, Moses begins to speak about the decrees and laws, which will take up a good part of this book, although we won't actually get into the thick of them until chapter 12. But before we get to them, Moses wants to show us their value and their importance. So let's read from chapter 4, verse 1, down to verse 14. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord has. The God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess." This is God's Word. And as you'll have noticed, the phrase decrees and laws appears quite a few times in these verses. Another way to put it would be to talk about God's instructions. And here, before he actually gives any of those instructions, Moses wants to show their importance. He wants to show the goodness of them. And he wants us to see the people who have these instructions truly are the most privileged people on earth. And to show us that, Moses tells us three truths about God's instructions. They are the way of life, they are the way of wisdom, and they are the way of relationship. First, in verses 1 to 4, God's instructions are the way of life. The wording there is important. God's instructions are not the way to life, but they are the way of life. There's an important difference. In the Bible, life is always a gracious gift from God. Think back to the very beginning, back to Adam and Eve. Did they earn life? No. In fact, the question doesn't even make any sense. God created them. He gave them life. They were not capable of creating themselves, nor were they capable of earning the right to be created. But once God had given them life as a gift and placed them in the beautiful garden He had prepared for them, then God gave them His instructions. They were pretty simple instructions at the time. Enjoy this garden I have made for you. And as you enjoy the length and the breadth of it, as you explore it and cultivate it, just avoid that one tree there. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, obeying those instructions didn't earn life for Adam and Eve. Those instructions were not the way to life. They already had life as a gift from God. But God's instructions were the way of life. Rejecting his instructions was the way of death, as Adam and Eve found out. And then think of the Israelites. Did they earn the right to be God's people? No, while they were slaves in Egypt, groaning under Pharaoh's oppression, God came and delivered them by his power. He brought them out And he set in front of them a land he had prepared for them, just like he gave a garden to Adam and Eve. As a people, the Israelites have not earned life any more than Adam and Eve did. God has given life to the Israelites. He freed them from slavery and death, and now he gives them his instruction, not as a way to earn life, but as the way of life. And these Israelites east of the Jordan have had a very recent reminder that rejecting God's instructions is a way of death. Moses has not mentioned it up to this point in the book, but here he reminds them that not very long ago, 24,000 of the Israelites died because they rejected God's instructions. If you glance up to the last verse of chapter 3, Moses mentions a place where the Israelites had camped in the valley near Beth Peor. In Hebrew, Beth means temple. So they had camped near the temple in Peor. And in what follows, Moses recalls the, calls the place Baal Peor, indicating the temple that was there was a temple to Baal, the Canaanite storm god. You can see that if you look down to chapter 4, verse 3. Moses says, You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Moses hasn't mentioned this before. His focus in the book up to this point has been on God's power and the fact that God can be trusted to fight for them across the river in Canaan just as he did against Sihon and Og, east of the Jordan. But here, Moses reminds the people of something none of them could possibly have forgotten. We know the details because they're recorded in the book of Numbers, Numbers 22 to 25. We learn there that as the Israelites were moving up the east side of the Jordan, there were several peoples God told them to leave alone. One of those peoples was the Moabites. But although Israel had no plans to mess with the Moabites, because God had warned them not to, the Moabites themselves panicked. They didn't believe the Israelites would leave them alone, and so they hired a prophet called Balaam to curse the Israelites. And needless to say, that plan failed miserably for them, because the Lord was with the Israelites, And instead of cursing them, Balaam ended up, despite his intentions, blessing the Israelites. But Balaam then came up with another plan the Moabites could try. Since cursing the Israelites isn't going to work, why not try seducing them? And that's what the Moabites did. Their women invited Israelite men to the sacrifices of their Moabite gods. Those sacrifices involved a whole load of sex. That was part of the ritual, part of the event. And the whole thing was a blatant defiance of the Lord's instructions given to Israel at Mount Sinai. The man who did it didn't slide into it accidentally. How could you? They did it very publicly. They did it brazenly, right before the eyes of the rest of Israel, Numbers tells us. And by defying the Lord's instructions, those Israelites were abandoning the way of life. They were choosing the way of death, and they received death. And here, Moses reminds the people of that incident, and he says to them, not follow God's instructions and He will give you life. No, the message is, God has given you life, He has given you an inheritance across the river. Now follow the way of life. Keep the Lord's commands. Defying His commands is the way of death. And if we ask at this point, well, does the New Testament maintain this teaching? The answer is yes, absolutely it does. If we think about which book in the New Testament focuses most on the fact that our goods, good works can't save us that salvation and eternal life are gracious gifts from god to be received by faith as we turn to jesus as our savior if we tried to narrow it down to which new testament books focus most on that we might end up with a short list of galatians ephesians and romans those three books may contain the most memorable and the most sustained teaching that salvation and eternal life are gracious gifts that we cannot earn. And yet what we find is all three of those grace books tell us defying God's commands is the way of death. For example, Galatians tells us this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I could have put up almost identical quotations from Romans and from Ephesians. So in the New Testament, the message to God's people is, God has given you salvation and life in Christ. Now, follow God's instructions. They are the way of life. Obedience to God has never been the way to life, but it is always the way of life. And following on from this, verses 5 to 8 of Deuteronomy 4 tell us, God's instructions are the way of wisdom. In the Bible, wisdom means skill for living well. The wise man or woman in the Bible is not someone with a long gray beard who says things that sound deep and obscure. Now, according to the Bible, the wise man or woman is someone who knows how to live their life well. And if we know our Bibles a bit, the place we automatically think to look for wisdom is the book of Proverbs. That book is full of wise sayings about how to live well. But it might be surprising to us that here, Moses associates decrees and laws with wisdom. He says in verse 6, speaking about the laws he's going to give in later chapters, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Observe them carefully does not mean look at them. It means do them. Listen carefully to them and then obey them. And the main thing to see is that God's instruction is not an awkward burden that doesn't fit you and me. His decrees and laws are not a set of random or ridiculous requirements that go against the grain of God's world. No, His commands and decrees are the way to live wisely in God's world. They fit our situation better than anything else does. They enable us to live well, to flourish. For some of us, that may be a whole new way to think about the commands of Scripture. They're not a test, pushing human beings to twist their lives into unnatural shapes for God's amusement. As if he's saying, let's see who can defy their humanity and keep this weird command I've dreamt up. Not at all. The Bible's instruction is wisdom from our Creator. It's the one who knows us best, laying out the way to live skillfully and well in these bodies he's given us. And in this world he's made for us. This is a very important truth to grasp, especially at our time in history, a time when most people have abandoned God's instruction on how to use our bodies and how to live and how to relate to one another. Today, the standard view of God's instruction, at least in our country, is to view God's instruction in the Bible as something that doesn't fit us, something that's not good for us something that's repressive. And so to thrive, the thinking goes, you have to throw it off and make up your own way of living in the world. The Bible says that is a terrible misconception of God's commands. Their purpose is to help us live our best life. One Christian counselor says, God's law is a picture of how a human being becomes truly human. And so throwing away God's instructions for us is like buying a delicate and sophisticated piece of equipment, like a drone maybe, or a 3D printer, and then throwing away the manufacturer's instructions. Trying to figure it out on our own. Now, even if we don't wreck the thing that way, we'll never make the most of it that way. We need the instructions, and it's the same with our lives. God's instructions are the way of wisdom. But Moses says something else here that you and I might want to argue with. He says in verse 6, when you follow God's decrees and laws, the nations around you will recognize you're a wise and understanding people. You and I might want to object that today, at least, the nations do not look at God's people following God's instruction and think they're wise and understanding people. In fact, increasingly, the world's view of Christians seems to be that they're daft and maybe even dangerous people because they follow God's instruction. It's certainly true at the level of the media, isn't it? Christians are increasingly portrayed in the media as daft and probably even dangerous. But if we consider this on an individual level, a person-to-person level, it is still true that when people really get to know a Christian or a Christian family or a church fellowship who are following God's instruction in their lives. As those outsiders get to know us, they will often see something different about us. They will often begin to sense a wisdom and a healthiness that's lacking in their own life and in society as a whole. Now, it's very true that many people will never care to look closely enough to see how we're different. It's true as well. Very often we are not as different as we should be. Our lives can make things confusing for people that way. But the point still stands. To the degree that you and I follow God's instructions, and to the degree that outsiders care to look at our lives, they will see a skill for living that they will not see anywhere else. They will find an understanding of what life is about that they will not find anywhere else. It's a point the New Testament makes again and again. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, today we might say though they accuse you of being daft or dangerous, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. In those passages, good deeds and good lives are deeds done and lives lived in accordance with God's instruction. Granted, as we've said, in this life we will never be perfect examples of that. Granted, too, that many people just won't care to look closely at us. But some will and when they do they will see a wisdom and understanding that could only come from our creator they will see a skill for living that could only come from the one who made us and knows how we work best and look what else comes with this in verse 7. Moses says What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? This is still connected to the fact that our God is not silent. He gives his instruction to his people. And that is evidence, Moses says, this God is near us. He's not the kind of God who created the world and then abandoned it. He's not the kind of God who wants to watch from a distance to see if you and I sink or swim. No, he's the God who is near and involved. It's important to see how different this was from how other nations related to their supposed gods and how different it is from how many religions today conceive of their gods. Listen to this prayer It's a prayer that was found in the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh. It's from about 700 BC. And contrast this prayer with what we know of the God of the Bible who gives instruction to his people. The prayer says, "'May the God I do not know be reconciled. "'May the goddess I do not know be reconciled. "'I do not know what wrong I have done. "'I have perpetrated unwittingly an abomination to my God.' I have unwittingly violated a taboo of my goddess. O God, whoever you are, many are my wrongs, great my sins. O goddess, whoever you are, many are my wrongs, great are my sins. I do not know what wrong I have done. I do not know what sin I have committed. I do not know what abomination I have perpetrated. I do not know what taboo I have violated. When I wept, it would not draw near. When I would make a complaint, no one would listen. Men are slow witted and know nothing. They do not know at all if they are doing good or evil. The person praying that prayer believed the gods were angry with him, but he had no idea at all what made them angry or what he could do about it. How different is the God of the Bible? What a different position his people are in. God has given us his word, his instruction. We are not in the dark with regard to what pleases him and what displeases him. We're not left to figure out on our own what's wise and what's foolish. What causes us to flourish and what harms us. Our lives do not have to be one long experiment trying to see what works for us in terms of relationships and sexuality and every other aspect of our humanity. Last week I read an article about a fairly well-known actress who for years has suffered terribly, she says, with knowing where she fits in the world as a person. A few years ago, in an attempt to fit and find where she fits, this actress announced that she was gay and she married another lady and that, she believed, was going to help her find her place and be who she was meant to be. That would allow her to find peace and joy. But it didn't. And so now, quite recently, the actress has divorced the lady she married. She has had surgery to mutilate the female parts of her body, and she has now announced herself to be a man. She says this will allow her finally to be her authentic self. And yet, already, there are signs this might not be the answer either. She says she feels scared. She feels fragile. Maybe the answer actually lies somewhere else. Maybe she needs to try something else. What a tragedy. To have no other hope but to keep on experimenting, trying on new identities, mutilating your body, hoping that will open up the way to live her life well and to flourish. If only she could see life is not meant to be an experiment. In the Bible, we meet the God who is near, the Creator who reveals the wisdom we need to handle our humanity skillfully. So I don't mean to belittle or to downplay those kind of identity struggles. They're widespread. I don't want to downplay them at all. But the tragedy is having those struggles and believing we're all alone, left to solve those problems by ourselves. The Bible brings us to the God who is the source of our identity, He has provided wise instruction for us. And we find our true place in obedience to his instruction. And when we pray to him, we don't have to pray experimentally, trying out different approaches to see if one of them works. When we pray, we know the character of our God, we know what he loves and what he hates. We know where we stand with him. We know what he asks of us. And we know that he cares. Because he has revealed himself in his wise instruction. And then closely connected to this, God's instructions are the way of relationship. It's always been common for human beings to want to base their relationship with God on experiences. So if I have powerful feelings about God, if I'm singing or praying and the earth moves, or it seems to me that it moves, that's an indication, I might think, that I'm close to Him. But in verses 9 to 14, Moses upends that kind of thinking. He invites the people to remember what happened at Horeb. And we learned earlier in the book, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. That's where God brought the people after they left Egypt. And look how Moses summarizes what happened there 40 years before this. He says in verse 10, "'Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, "'when he said to me, "'Assemble the people before me to hear my words.'" so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. If ever there was an earth-shaking experience of God, it was at Horeb, surely. The earth literally shook, and there were pyrotechnics in the sky to go with it. But look what Moses says here. What was significant, actually, about that event was not the sheikhs or the fireworks. What was significant was God spoke. It's emphasized over and over in verse 10. God says, Assemble the people to hear my words. Verse 12, Moses says, You heard the sound of words, a voice. Verse 13, He declared to you. In other words, the main thing is God's word. Verse 13 mentions his covenant with his people. He saved them from Egypt to have a relationship with them. That's what a covenant is, a committed relationship. And that relationship is built on God's instruction. Verse 13 mentions specifically the Ten Commandments. The way for God's people to enjoy and deepen their relationship with him is not by chasing experiences, at the top or the bottom of the mountain. It's by listening to his instructions and following them. And the best legacy these people can leave their children is to pass on these instructions. Moses makes that point here, and he will emphasize it in later chapters. For every generation of God's people, following his instructions is the way of relationship with him. This is a truth that Jesus emphasized. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Notice how God's love comes first just like it did with Israel, they didn't earn God's love, it was a gift, just as Jesus' love for you and me is a gift. And then, Jesus says, the way of relationship is to obey His instructions. And if we think, well, that sounds a little bit cold and formal, look what Jesus says, that's the way I relate to my Father the most perfect relationship there ever has or ever will be, the eternal divine relationship of love between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says the heart of that loving relationship is the Son's obedience to his Father. So you and I should not think it odd when Jesus says to us, I love you. And in love, I have entered into a relationship with you. Now, nurture and develop that relationship by obeying my commands. It's the same message God gave the Israelites through Moses. And if we put all this together, the message is that having God's instruction makes us the most privileged people on earth. Instead of being the restrictive straitjacket they're often thought to be, God's decrees and laws are a beautiful gift to us. Following them is not the way to miss out, it's the way of life. It's the way to rise to our full potential as human beings. And it's the way to nurture and deepen our relationship with the God who loves us, who has saved us from a life of slavery. Living according to his instruction is the way to know him better and to flourish. So if any of us need to change our thinking about God's decrees and laws, if we've been seeing them as a burden, let's begin to see them for what they are. Words of life. Words that show us how to live skillfully, to flourish as we were meant to. And if some of us are discouraged because a life of following God's instruction is so countercultural, so out of step with our society, if we're feeling that way, let's begin to see that for what it is an opportunity to let this world see the wisdom of a life lived this way. We'll never display that wisdom perfectly because our obedience is never perfect. And even when we do get things right, not many will even care to notice. But some will. And as they see our lives and relationships, the Bible promises us They will come to glorify our God with us. If you feel that your relationship with God has stalled, if you feel it's stale and uninspiring, I encourage you don't go looking for spiritual fireworks to perk things up. Come back to God's instruction, consider his decrees and laws. See them as God's invitation to you to come closer to Him, to come farther up and further in as you respond to His love with new, willing obedience. Don't think of His commands as a way to earn His love. See them for what the Bible says they are, a way to know Him better as you learn to walk in His ways. As we close, our last song is a celebration of God's instruction in all of its length and breadth, the Old and the New Testaments. The song reminds us the scriptures are powerful in making us wise to salvation.
1: to faith in Christ Jesus.
2: Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.